0: Amen. You may be seated. And if you have your Bibles, I've told you to bring them today. We're going to be in them. Uh, and uh, it's a few things I really want to point out to you. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me in the Gospel of John. And we're going to be in John 7 and 8 and in other places in God's Word this morning. So, give me liberty or give me... You've learned it, haven't you? Give me liberty or give me death. Uh, really an incredible uh, American phrase that many of us have learned and known. But to really get the depth of what that phrase means, give me liberty or give me death, is you have to put it in the right context. What was the context from which Patrick Henry would utter the words, give me liberty or give me death? It's a quotation that's cited back to Patrick Henry from a speech he made. And the second Virginia convention on March 23rd, 1775 in St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia. And it was a time when he was arguing that they should send their military from Virginia to go help this cause called the Revolutionary War. And those who were sitting in the convention include George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. I mean, this is dripping with american history i mean this is it has such a context and you realize it was in that setting where our, our our freedom our we're longing to be an independent country where give me liberty or give me death how about this one i am the light of the world i am the light of the world someone much greater than patrick henry jesus himself will utter the words, I am the light of the world. The Jesus' words would be uttered, saying this in the temple, the temple in Jerusalem. He would utter these words during a specific festival, a feast, a feast of tabernacles, or a feast of booths which is a time of joy, a time that, that really God's people would gather in that temple, and there's going to be such significance and meaning of why that is dripping with significance in the context. For Jesus to say, I am the light of the world, anywhere has meaning for us to unpack. But for Jesus to say, I am the light of the world, in the midst of the temple, in the midst of the Feast of Booths, in the midst of that last day, and what actually was happening, if you put it in the right context, all of a sudden the weight of that has much more significance. We are in week three of a sermon series called I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. In the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus utters these I Am statements, incredible statements, and we've already learned that when Jesus says, I Am... He is referring himself as God Almighty to the God who revealed himself to Moses way back in Exodus 3 at the burning bush where God himself would take the name I am Yahweh, I am who I am, I will be who I will be. And now when we see the connection, when Jesus says things like I am before Abraham was I am or I am the the bread of life, oftentimes the religious people wanted to kill him for that statement. And so we realize, why would they want to kill him for saying, I'm the bread of life, or I am the light of the world? It's because they realized the significance. That Jesus, what he was saying was that he is God. That he is equal with the Father. He's taking this most holy name, and he's doing it personally. But we're hearing Jesus in his own words as he says these uh, I am statements. that will tell us, who Jesus is, what Jesus is about, as we learned last week, is the bread of life. And it tells us the gospel story, the good news of the gospel. But as we listen closely to what Jesus says in the I Ams, like the I Am the Light of the World, and we see the entire Bible unfold. Why? Because this incredible book of 66 books of two testaments is one story. And there's one hero. And it all points to one, and that is God's Son, Jesus, and what he's done for us. And for those of you who remember the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, Jesus, after his resurrection, he'd go back through all of scripture, with Moses, through the prophets, uh, the poets, and he would show that this Christ must suffer, that Jesus is the one that God has promised. So this morning we're looking at the words that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's found in John chapter 8. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to see what it really means if I am the light of the world in its context. We will also see what he says after that. Whoever follows Jesus, they will not walk in darkness. What a great promise. Whoever follows Jesus will have the light of light. So this morning, the reason I ask you to bring your Bibles, I know that the words will still be here for you. I want to show you a few things in your Bible for us to really understand the context of, Of these words, we got to do a little digging, and it's really worth it. So I want you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 7. Uh, John chapter 7, and we're going to uh, be actually reading verses 37 through 44, and then 8, 12 through 20. So if you have your Bibles open, you will see that in the very beginning of the chapter, in chapter 7, there's probably something italicized above chapter 7. What does it say above chapter 7? I couldn't hear you, a little louder. Okay, Jesus in the festival the, 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 of, of what, what, what was yours say? Okay, of shelters. Okay, interesting translation, because shelters is true. Anybody else say something different? The Feast of Tabernacles, anybody else have something different? The Feast of Booths, are all the same thing. Now, so what's happening in chapter 7 is it's going to tell you what's there. Now, I want you to know, that's not in the original Greek. That's something that was added for your Bibles. I think it's a good addition. Uh, it's, not, it's not there in the original. Things like punctuation wasn't there. A lot of the chapter markings weren't there. Um, but it will help us know what is happening. Uh, also, in verse right before verse 25, there's another one of those asking the question, "Can this be the Christ?" Uh, again, not in the text. But what I want to show you is very interesting here. Um, Jesus is in the temple. Uh, He—that's a whole chapter seven—is him in the temple. But I want you to get to the end of chapter seven, right before chapter eight. Does anybody have a footnote there? What do you see? The earliest manuscripts do not include Interesting. Okay, so does everybody's Bible have that? I would imagine yes. Everybody's Bible probably says the earliest manuscripts do not include this story. Now, let me get to chapter 8 and verse 12. We're going to look at that Jesus is the light of the world. But at the very end I'm going to read, it's going to say that Jesus is in the temple. So in verse chapter 8, Jesus is in the temple. Chapter 7, Jesus is in the temple. But all of a sudden there's a story that is in there. Great story. You guys know the story. The woman caught in adultery. He who hasn't sinned cast the first stone. But that story's out of place. So that story, when when the original, inspired by God, wrote these things, uh, wrote wrote these words, inspired by God, God's Word, uh, it's amazing how many fragments we have and pieces of the New Testament in different places, in different times. They put them all together, and they want to make sure, hmm, you know what? The most ancient ones, the ones that we found that are the oldest, probably the closest to the original, didn't have this story. You know, I never preached on this story. Not that I don't think it's a great story, but I don't think it was in the original. Now, here's what I want to tell you. You know why I don't usually tell you this? You know why I don't point this out to you? Because the worst thing I could do is make you suspicious of your Bible. And I want you to know you can trust God's Word. Every one of us has a translation. Someone says it's the Festival of Booths. Someone said Tabernacle or Shelters. It's a good translation. But all of us have a translation. And so we have to kind of realize that. Let me tell you two other things before we move on. Here's one thing. Footnotes. Always look at the footnotes. I remember going to seminary. I love this. And I had so many professors that were on translation teams. And they would say that when the linguist argued over and over and over what does the Hebrew mean here in the Old Testament or the Greek mean in the New Testament. And the semantic range of Hebrew and Greek are different than they are in English. It's just a little different. It's like any other language. When they couldn't agree that it exactly meant this, they put a footnote in and said, it could also mean this. That's what I remember a professor saying. That's our integrity. That's why we have footnotes. Pay attention to those. Those will be helpful. Now, how many of you have a Bible that has commentary on the bottom? Maybe somebody, okay? Now, let me tell you a word about those. Be careful. That's not God's Word. As a matter of fact, I could probably look at your Bibles and I could ask you, whose notes are you reading? And I will be able to say, some of them I trust more than others. I come from a Reformed tradition. The Bible I read with those notes are going to have Reformed understanding and tradition that I would believe in is most true to God's Word. So, when you read Scripture, let the Holy Spirit help you interpret that. You know, wrestle. The best way to do is look at one verse compared to all of Scripture. Let Scripture interpret Scripture as the infallible rule of Scripture. But you got to be careful if you just go right to the notes and read what somebody else says. That's what somebody else says. That's not inspired, right? And so... But at the end of the day, God's holy and word, never lead us astray, unbelievable. I will say in the original autographs, when it was originally written without error, um, it's been translated a little bit. We still can trust it. Okay, now you got it. Can we read the text finally? I've been a pastor for nearly 30 years, and I've never explained that in detail. And probably because I was a little afraid. A little afraid to let people know that there's some things in their Bible that they might not get confused with. But I really felt led that King's Chapel is smarter than the average bear. I'm telling you guys. So, so let's hear the context, the context of the word. Remember, the whole reason I'm going back to seven, I want you to hear, I want you to see the beauty and the context of Jesus saying these things. In verse 37, on the last day of the feast, this is the feast of the tabernacles are uh, the Feast of Booths. It's a feast of joy. Uh, it's the most joyous of feasts. It's a feast where they will celebrate the fact that God has provided, promised the Messiah. The great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, and I'm going to show you why he says this, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Hit pause. The coolest thing is exactly where Jesus said these words, is where Peter preached on Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit promised in Joel 2 would be poured out on them right here. But let's keep going. When they heard these words, some of the people said... Now watch what they say. There's a confusion. Who is Jesus? This really is the prophet. Okay, here's a cool thing. There was promised in Deuteronomy 18 that a prophet would come like Moses. So people were saying, this is the one that Moses talked about, the prophet that comes. This must be that one. Others said, this is the Christ. In the Old Testament, there was a promise of a prophet to come, a king to come, a priest to come. Uh, there was also a Messiah who would come. But some said, is the Christ, the Messiah, to come from Galilee? That's Jesus, guys, from Galilee. Has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. So they were like, wait a minute, he lives up there, forgot that he was born down here. The village where David was. So there was a division, even in the temple, among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So you, here you have, remember we talked about in the series, as, is he a liar, is he lord, or is he a lunatic? Some will say he's a lunatic, some will say he's a liar, uh, those who, some will say that he is lord. So the officers, uh, so, I'm sorry, so l- let me jump to uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 12. Now we're picking up the story again, he's, that's, he's, he is right there. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I have come from, heaven, And where I am going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? This is them saying, we don't believe you have a father. Joseph might be gone by now. This whole thing about Mary and a virgin birth was weird to them, but they probably thought that he was a bastard child. So Jesus answered him, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now listen to this. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple... But no one arrested him, because his hour had not yet come. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father God, you are the light of the world. Your Son has come to reveal that light to us. And so, Father, we ask that the light of Christ would shine on this broken sinner That, God, it would shine on this congregation here in person and online. That, God, that you would shine with such glory and brightness that you'd give us ears to hear your voice. That, God, you'd shine your, your light into the darkness of our minds that we would understand your word. That you would shine your light into the darkness of our hearts that we would embrace your truth. That you would shine your light onto our past so that we could walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. It's this time of year, February, that one of my favorite places in the world, I was there last February. Um, is the beautiful metropolis of Lake Placid, New York. Have you ever been to Lake Placid, New York? Absolutely, amazingly beautiful place. Lake Placid is a little dot of nothing little town, almost in Canada, way up in the Adirondack Mountains. But the cool thing about Lake Placid, New York, is the entire world gathered there twice for the Winter Olympics. Some of you remember 1932, but all of you that are old, like me, should at least remember or young heard the stories of the 1980 Winter Olympics and what happened to there. We'll get there in just a minute. But if you go to Lake Placid in the wintertime, and there's something absolutely majestic about the place, it's on a lake, and on the lake it's frozen, and the dogs will be pulling sleds on it, and it's just a winter wonderland, typically. And they have bobsledding. Where else can you go to go get a good bobsledding run in, right? And they have things like ski jumps. I mean, where can you go to see these people that have lost their minds go off the ski jumps like they're doing? And you have the ski races, and it's, it's like that winter wonderland. And they have an ice rink where a thing called the miracle on ice took place. And I have a life-changing story about that. I don't have time to share with you, but I have some scars and some joys about that I can tell you later. But they have the Olympic torch. And so that's a cool place to go, just to walk down downtown and realize this little teeny hamlet uh, was a place that was filled by the entire world. Well, in that context, the temple in Jerusalem was so much more grand. It was a place that... ...that God's people would go, and they would go for festivals, and they would go uh, for sacrifices. And there were specific three specific festivals throughout a year that God's people were commanded to go. And so when we look at the context of what Jesus has said, we are told that this is the context is one of these festivals that he is in the temple. Uh, in chapter 7, is actually what's happening is the Feast of Tabernacles or Shelters or Booths, remembering the time where God's people lived in those after they've been set free from Egypt and, and heading to the Promised Land. Uh, and during this festival, you got to get this, they didn't have an Olympic torch, but they had something incredibly cool in the temple. They had four 75-foot menorahs. Oil-filled lamps. I mean, just picture that. I mean, at the time, right? I mean, what would it be like to have a 75-foot oil-filled um, lamp that they would light during the festival? So they would light these things. And, I mean, I mean, it was huge. It was like having four Olympic torches that would light up the entire temple area. I and mean, then they would sing and dance with great joy. But it would be so bright, all of Jerusalem. You say, man. Look what's happening up in the temple. I mean, look at that incredible light that is lighting up the entire city. What did Jesus say during that time? I am the light of the world. Interesting. But there's more. There's also a ritual, a water ritual during that, that, that time. The only festival that used a water ritual, that they would pour water on the altar. And they would sing. They would say, "This water is is salvation. That through the waters, God saves us, like through the Red Sea, right?" And they would actually use the, the the name like like Joshua, that our God saves. And they would sing. And here's Jesus watching them pour the water. He says, "By the way, I'm the one who gives you living water. I'm the one. Do you thirst? Do you want to be set free? Do you want salvation? So h- hear the context." I mean, Jesus is saying that I am the light of the world. So let's unpack that a little bit. So in the midst of that, he says, I am the light of the world. Do you know what they were thinking about? So when the Israelites come up to the temple and they see these four huge 75-foot menorah torches on fire, you know what they were reminded of immediately of God's redemptive story? Does anybody know what they would think about? It would be the pillar of fire. Remember the pillar of fire? I mean, God God would lead his people for 40 years through the wilderness by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. Uh, so Exodus chapter 13, Exodus 13 verses 21 and 22 says this, "...and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night." the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. So here they go to the temple and they see these huge, huge uh, torches. And he's like, man, this is what God used to guide his people to the promised land. And Jesus is like, I'm the true pillar of fire. I'm the one who leads you through the wilderness. I'm the one who leads you to the promised land of heaven. I'm the one... Who's going to take you home? But he says more than that. You see, as they looked at these lights, they would say that, remember, God made a promise of a Messiah. He said that for those who are walking in darkness, a great light will shine. It's Isaiah 9:2. He tells us that reality. For those who are walking in darkness, a great light will shine. The people who walked in darkness who have seen a great light, those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. As they went into the temple, they were reminded, God promised us a Messiah is going to come. And again, in Isaiah, he will say in that same passage, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. I'm the true pillar of fire that leads you to the promised land. I'm the light of the world. I'm the true promised Messiah for those who are walking in darkness to have a light that shines. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the true Shekinah glory that fills the temple. Now, we've got to talk about this for a minute. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1 and throughout Scripture, you have this Shekinah glory of God's appearing. Let me tell you what what that is. As soon as the first temple was built and King Solomon finished praying uh, God's blessing over the temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of God filled the temple. You know what the temple was? At The temple was the place, the abiding presence of God. Now, here's what we know about God. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. The temple was a unique place that God put His presence. The place that He uniquely showed up wanted to manifest His reality. And any time you have a a physical manifestation of God has become to known the Shekinah, the shining, the Shekinah glory. It's like a visible manifesting of the presence of God. Well... Anytime that the invisible God kind of becomes visible, anytime the all-present God becomes localized, they say that's the Shekinah glory. Hit pause. No extra charge for this. You'll not find the word Shekinah in your Bible, nor will you find the word Trinity. Those are things that God's Word teaches us. These are words that we help explain them. But here's the cool thing you don't want to miss. When he says, I'm the light of the world. This is unbelievable. He says, I'm the true Shekinah glory. I'm the true temple. What was the temple? The temple is the place where God and man met together. The temple is the place where you offered sacrifice for your sins. Jesus is the place where God and man meet together. Jesus is the place that offers the sacrifice that makes us acceptable in God's presence. Jesus is the manifested glory of God. He's standing in there and says, I'm the true temple, he's going to say. Destroy this temple. In three days I'm going to raise it up. Man, where they're dripping with, 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 with significance when he says, I am the light of the world. I am the Shekinah glory of God. He is the true temple. The, the, the scripture will tell us in John the word of God, Jesus, would become flesh, and he would tabernacle. He would tabernacle with us. That Even that word Shekinah uh, is right there in that. And he would pitch a tent To be with us. That's the context in which Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Is God's word not amazing? Is there not a beauty and depth to this? And then he says this, Whoever follows Jesus will not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me, you will not walk in darkness. What is darkness? Well, the darkness of sin. When Jesus died on the cross, bearing our sin, becoming our sin, the world literally grew dark for three hours. And it seemed like the darkness had conquered the light. But Jesus actually defeated it because he paid the penalty of sin. He paid it all. The soul that sins shall surely die. We deserve death, but we get life. Jesus defeated the power of sin. Now sinners like us in Christ Jesus made new have the power and the ability to not just sin, but move toward God and Jesus someday will eliminate the presence of sin. We don't have to walk in darkness. I know that your life feels dark sometimes. Mine does too. The world seems dark oftentimes. Very clear. But we, in Christ Jesus, the light of the world, never were one nanosecond, have to walk in the darkness. It may feel it, look it, seem it. But in Christ Jesus, we walk in light. The light overcomes. I love what it says in the beginning of John that the darkness doesn't win. He does What is darkness? Darkness is ignorance. Someone who says, hey, man, I'm in the dark on this. What is he saying? I don't know what you're saying. I'm in the dark. I don't know something. Well, all of us by nature are born in the dark when it comes to God. We're ignorant of God. We're ignorant of our true selves, of how much we need a Savior. We're all ignorant. And But God's grace and salvation and the fear of God, knowing Him rightly, that's the beginning of wisdom and understanding. And we see him in ourselves rightly. Darkness is the separation of God. What happened at that that moment on the cross, Jesus would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the darkness came. But here's the beautiful reality. In Christ Jesus, we are forever connected to the Father. The darkness will not win. We have, that separation has been bridged. And the light has shined. And then he'll say, whoever follows Jesus will have the light of life. It's an interesting combination, not only light, but life. In Jesus' light, we find life. Listen to John 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. This is Jesus. And without him was nothing made that was made. And I love this, verse 4. In him, Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus would say in his own words, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is the one who gives us life, and life abundantly. He's the one who gives us life, and life eternally. And healthy things grow in the light. Scary things grow in the dark. Healthy things in your life grow in the light of Christ. Scary things grow in the dark. We need to have the light and life of Christ fill our lives. In Jesus' light, we find understanding. We not only find life, Psalm 36, 9. Listen to this this passage. For with you, God, is the fountain of life, and in your light, do we see light? Did you see that? In your light, do we see light? This is basically saying this. In the light of God, in the light of who Christ is, in the light of God's word, we understand ourselves. We understand our world. We understand our design. I love that. In God's light, the story makes sense. It's a Christian worldview. In God's light, we realize that we are sinners that are saved by God's grace in Christ Jesus we realize we live in an amazingly broken world that Jesus is going to make new. We realize that we were created for the glory of our great God and the good of our neighbor. You know, I love the reality. is You, you know what we're like. If he's the light of the world, you know what we are? I think I got this from Andy Stan... No, it was... Uh, it was... Uh, who's that guy in Atlanta? Um, uh, really good communicator. Hung out with Stanley for a while. Um, we've heard him in some conventions. Uh... uh uh, Louis, New, Louis, Louis Giglio, thank you for your help. Um, so Louis Giglio said that basically if you think of the moon, the moon has no light in and of itself, right? The moon produces zero light. As a matter of fact, they say the moon is mostly dust. And the only time the moon shines is when it gets in the right alignment with the sun. And when it gets in the right alignment with the sun, it reflects the sun's light, and it's absolutely beautiful, right? You've seen it. We're dust, but we don't get in the right alignment with the S-O-N, um, S-U-N. We get in the right alignment with the S-O-N. We get in the right alignment with the sun, and this dust reflects the beauty of God. That's, that's, that's what we are to do. We reflect God's beauty. But what has the God of this age done? According to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. For what we proclaim, Paul says, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, through the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light and the knowledge and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You want to know God, you want to know his world, you want to know yourself, it's through the light of the gospel. And lastly, in Jesus' light, we do not fear. Uh, Psalm 27.1 says this, The Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid Again, as we read John 1.5, the darkness does not overcome. Hit pause. The darkness won't overcome in your life. It won't. If you are His, it might overcome you at some times, but the darkness will not overcome your relationship with God and the grace of God and the grip of God in your life. Darkness doesn't win. Light does. I love what Psalm 139, 12, I told the kids this, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. You know that our God is not up in heaven wringing his hands over our current situation. He's not wringing his hands over the pandemic. He's not wringing his hands over your life, my life. He is in complete control, and he knows the truth. The light will shine, and the light will prevail. Give me liberty or give me death. Great saying. Give me Jesus or give me death. A biblical saying. In Jesus we are truly set free. In Jesus we are truly made alive. In Jesus we truly have life. And in Jesus we truly have light. Give me Jesus. Where are you? Where is Christ Jesus is the light of the world shining upon you? Have you aligned your life to reflect his light and beauty? If not, may today be the day when we move into the light. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, again, we're in the deep end of your word. We thank you for it. And God, we, we thank you for the fact that all of your word is God-breathed, all of your word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. We, we thank you that, God, you've given us your word, that you didn't take away the characteristics of the men who wrote it. Um, as you read your word, I could hear, oh, that's Paul or that's Peter, or clearly that came from Moses. But God all whispers your name. Even as, as we trust by faith that, those who wrestled with which books of the Bible belong and, and where things belong, that God you, you've preserved it for us that we can trust it but God we thank you for the light that pours out of it, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path God we, we ask that the light of Christ would shine brightly upon each one of us, shine brightly upon King's Chapel for your glory that we would align ourselves up with your Son, the light of the world. Jesus, what great words. And when we realize where you were, when we realize what was happening around you, we realize really the depth of what you said. How courageous, how bold, but how true and how real. Oh, light of Christ, shine in our darkness for your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen.